So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, that one verse, verse 17. But before I get there, let me just give you a, a little bit of a, a recap of week one and week two. So when we think about the term elder, that is a spiritual leader in the church. Pastor, overseer, bishop, elder, same type of name in the New Testament, gets used interchangeably. It means someone who shepherds the, the flock of God, who takes care of God's people. And they are to be men who are above reproach, husband and one wife, self-controlled, sober-minded, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So those, think of those as moral qualifications. And then there are some, some qualifications in regards to their reputation. One who manages his household well, not a recent convert, so someone, not someone new to Christianity. And then the last one is one who is thought well of by outsiders. So an elder in a church should possess moral qualities that like God has done a work in their life. And in the church and outside the church, they have a reputation that is above reproach. People enjoy them. They're received. They're not necessarily liked, but they're respected, um, especially for those outside the church. And that can be pretty convicting to most church leaders because just because the church you serve loves you, that doesn't fill out the qualifications. Um, you can say it this way, even those who hate the church and want nothing to do with Jesus should think well of you as a man. That's a high calling. And then last week, we talked about what their job is. So that is who the elder is. Now we have to figure out what their job is. And we talked about that last week. They are to lead the church, teach the church what is true according to the Bible, protect the church from false teaching, and then pray for the sick. Now, those are only four tasks. You could think of multiple tasks within that. And certainly an elder is busy at all times with something in regards to these tasks. Really, everything an elder does falls under the umbrella of a verse that we find in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Elders are to dedicate themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the elder's main call, the leader's main call, is to spend time in prayer for the church and then use the word of God to support the lives of the Christian, to minister to people, encourage, correct, train, and teach. That's their number one job. Everything they do should fall under prayer or leading with the word of God, whether they, they lead through counseling, encouraging, or correcting. Now, I do want to remind us of, all, of, of this. Serving as an elder is responsibility that only a few will sign up for because, as our verse today says, those who... Um, will lead as an elder, will have to give an account before God. They will have to give an account before God. When they, when they see their Savior face to face, when they stand before his throne, they're going to have to give an account of their leadership here on earth and how they shepherded God's church. And it's a high calling. So let me read Hebrews 13, 17 again, and then we'll begin to learn what it means for us as a church and our response to an elder. Well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to not do? Here's what, here's what it says, verse 17. John read it to us once. I'm just going to read it again. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. A few quick observations before we really learn what this verse is saying to us and then apply it. A few observations is this. The author of Hebrews instructs the church to obey their leaders and submit to those leaders. Um, and do so in a way that brings joy to those leaders, to those elders. Um, now, I, I do think we need to pause for a minute and allow me to challenge you, which, you know, I love to do. So I love to do this. Uh, 
in this very moment, many of us are slowly reverting back to our pre-Jesus days in this very moment because we just heard the words obey and submit. And we hate those words. In the past, when somebody has said, please obey me, you thought, nope, not going to do it. I don't want to obey. I don't want to submit. You don't get to tell me what to do, which, spoiler alert, that's pretty much all of our natural responses. So you're in the right place if that's kind of what you're leading with in this very moment. To hear the words obey and submit is hard on us. It's hard for us to receive. Now, maybe you hate these words because in your life you had a negative experience with a past church leader. Maybe that has happened. It certainly has happened to many of us in this church. Maybe you hate these words because a leader in your past used these very words as weapons to, to sort of keep you down or, or do something that was unbiblical because they just said obey and submit and be quiet. You know, maybe they used them as weapons and burdens. Or maybe you hate these words because simply stating sin is real and pride is always ready to pounce upon us. Pride is ready to jump upon us and take over because our pride stops us from receiving this verse. We're far too, mo- too important in our own eyes. We don't need to obey or to submit to anybody. So pastor, you better tell me quick in the next seven minutes why I need to listen to your entire sermon. Because I've already checked out. Please don't do that. Give the Bible a shot. I promise it'll make sense. We have a tough time obeying and submitting. And maybe it's because of our sin, which I believe. Maybe it's because of our pride, which is there. But also it's kind of the way we're raised. It's kind of the way we're brought up in our society that we get to live in. You don't like those job responsibilities? You can just leave and find a new job. You don't have to obey or to submit to anybody. You don't like what your boss said? Go ahead and take off and find a new job. You don't like those rules your parents laid down? Just move out as fast as possible. As quick as you're able, just get out of there and guess what? You won't have to obey or submit ever again, which is totally a lie because you're always obeying somebody, right? You can't even drive down the road without obeying somebody. I tried it. They pulled me over, right? You, you, you don't like those truthful comments from a friend that are hoping to benefit you? Ditch them. Find new friends. You see, we don't like to interact with people who are asking us to submit to their words, to submit their encouragement, or maybe just obey our direction. We don't like it. The Bible says in the book called Jeremiah, in your Old Testament, chapter 17, it says the heart is deceitful, a deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The way it's written is not asking you to figure out who can understand it. The way it's written is no one can understand it. Our human heart is hard to understand because it's full of sin and pride. So when we encounter a verse like this, we have a tough time consuming it, and working it into our daily lives. But we must understand, church, that the Christian is an altogether different person than who we once were. We're an altogether different person. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were dead, but now we live. If the Spirit of God is within you, if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God has made you an altogether new person. And so even when you used to respond one way, you're now called to respond a different way. And you're now not called to respond a different way to things. You're actually empowered to. You get to respond differently than once you did before. In the past, when someone approached you in a not-so-friendly way, you may have been not-so-friendly in return to make sure you had the step above, to make sure you were more mean than they were. But as a Christian, we're called to respond differently. We're called to model the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when people are not nice to us. 
when we are alone with our thoughts and no one is around to catch us in our sin, we're called to remember who we are in Jesus. Forgiven, cleansed, renewed, set free, and released from the bondage of sin that once enslaved us. Jesus released us from that. In the past, when life did not unfold the way we thought it would, maybe we, I don't know, freaked out. Those are my words. Maybe we went a little overboard with our anger or our frustration. When the Bible calls us to trust in God's plans and then praise him for what he's doing, even when we're in the middle of a valley, deep, dark, even when life doesn't unfold the way we think it would unfold. The Christian is called to praise God and give him glory even in those moments. So remember who you are in Christ as you approach Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I don't want you to revert back to your old self. I mean, give God everything else, right? I've been transformed. I've been made new. This gospel is amazing. My new Christian life is awesome because my relationships are being changed. Even the way my work ethic has changed, I just have more joy and more peace, even when life is hard. But don't bring that obey and submit language to my doorstep because I'm not having that. I'll take all this stuff. I don't want that. Well, this morning, I, I want to call you to truly consider what it means as a church, as an individual Christian, as a part of a church, to obey and to submit to the leaders of the church. So I'm going to read it again, Hebrews 13, 17, and I'm going to build out some of the words so we can better understand what their intentions are as they're written. Okay, so here it goes. Obey, which gives the idea of being persuaded by, or to trust in, or to rely on, or to be ready to be taught, um, ready to be led. Obey, be ready to receive instruction. That's what that word kind of means. Be persuaded by your leaders and then submit. Make room for them. Yield to them. Uh, open up your life and ask them for wisdom and counsel. Submit to the calling that they've been called to, to the role that they've been appointed to. That's what it's saying. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep in watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, as those who will have to stand before God and give an account for the way they led you. And then he finishes with this. Let them do this with joy. Make it a joy to be led. Make it a joy to be an elder at Citygate Church. We don't want to make it a burden for an elder to lead us. Why? Because that'd be no advantage to you. I don't want a leader who's always groaning. Now, if he's groaning, leave him alone. Let's just make sure it's not because of us, right? If he's groaning, that's an altogether different situation. If we don't give him a reason to groan, well, he's got a different issue and he's got to fix that. You see, the role of an elder is to teach, counsel, and lead the church. Therefore, the role of the church member, the Christian, is then to follow, learn from, and receive wisdom from the elders. So, if you're a part of Citygate Church, if this is a place that you call home, whether you've been attending for a couple of weeks or a couple of years, I do want to tell you, I will always, content, always encourage you to be someone who is persuaded by, who is obedient to, who is, who is submissive to the leadership of this church. If God says the church is to be led by men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, and he does because it's there, then the body of Jesus Christ, you and I, uh, I'm an elder, yeah, together, sure. Us, the church, the Christian, should welcome the leadership of these men because God has given them to us. We should welcome their leadership and be persuaded by, be drawn in, be ready to follow, be in agreement with their leadership. 
a bit of a warning. I think many of us have different church experiences and different church backgrounds. If you were to gather all of that, we would see how different we are, how diverse our past is. But far too often, churches find themselves on one side of the room when the elders are on the other side of the room. It happens quite naturally. Someone says, I want to be an elder, and then the church appoints them, and immediately the church looks at them with a side eye, like, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Far too often, once appointed, elders, in fact, treat people as if they need to convince them to follow them, like it's their job to con them in to agreeing with them. This is not the way elders are supposed to serve, and this is not the way a church is supposed to respond. Some of us have experienced failed leadership of an elder, personally, or in our churches. Some of us may be here because of the failed leadership of a church. And again, it would be prideful to think that we're just immune from this. It'd be prideful for me to say it's never going to happen here. I will tell you that the leaders are committed to praying over your souls and keeping watch over our life so it doesn't happen. But listen, you've had a failed experience in the past. But church, let us not start off this race by questioning whether the race officials are actually following the rules or whether the finish line is actually in the right spot where you thought it was supposed to be. Or questioning whether as you, you know, run down that marathon, which I'm never going to do, but run down that road and, you know, before you pick up that cup of water that's there for your refreshment, question whether it's water or acid. Let us not be that kind of church. Who questions an elder simply because they're an elder and we're not. Or who wonders if they're truly for us just because they've become a leader. You see how desperately sick our hearts are, where we will automatically look at someone different and treat them different because they're in an elder. We need to protect ourselves from that. So what I want to do now is equip you with three ways, very practical ways that you can obey and submit to the elders of Citygate Church. They all walked up here last week. We, you know, embarrassed them by making them stand here. We prayed over them and they're, they're off. They're off to the races and they're the ones responsible for the spiritual health of this church. They will stand before God and give an account for every way they've interacted with you for every time they've prayed for you, for the results pretty much of your life, really. So here's how we can obey and submit to them. Number one, lean towards trusting your leaders. If you're going to lean one way, don't lean away from trusting them. Lean towards trusting them. Here's what I mean. You don't have to follow blindly. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to lean towards trusting them. I'm not asking you to trust them fully all the time, no matter what. But if you're going to lean one way, start by leaning towards them when they speak or when they talk or when they encourage or when they counsel. But do not go blindly. Do not go along with an elder because he says, I'm an elder, go along with me. That's not why we, that's not why we trust. I would never encourage this church towards that. In, in fact, I don't even think that's a biblical way to live. The Christian does not blindly follow Jesus. We don't blindly follow Jesus. Never in the Bible does God call people to obey him without understanding him. We do not worship a God who asks us to take this blind leap of faith off a cliff. Our faith, our hope, the future promise of our resurrection is all based upon the truth of who God is and who he is revealed in Jesus Christ and what is revealed to us in the Bible. It's a solid, firm foundation. I'm not asking you to take a blind leap of faith and follow Jesus. It's a strong, firm foundation that you can believe in and hope in and trust in. 
When, when we invite people to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we do so by showing them what the word of God says, not by just saying, just do it. Just do it. Well, who's Jesus? It doesn't matter. Just do it. That would be unfair. So I'm not going to ask you to blindly follow a leader or an elder just because they're an elder. We're not to blindly follow elders. And here's why. Because if the truth of God's word is not at the center of who they are and their teaching, then we should not follow them. Yes, see? Finally, someone agrees. In 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, now this is Paul writing to a young church leader who's going to establish elders and lead a church. That's what he tells them. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's what? He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. The men who we appointed as elders are not going to lead with conceit or false teaching because if they do, we won't want to follow them anyway. The Bible says they, under, they don't understand anything. So if an elder begins to say something that's false, we do not blindly follow and obey and submit. We say, I think you're puffed up and conceited and I think you don't know anything in a gracious way, with a smile. That's how you do it, right? You smile and they don't know what to do. We do not follow elders who teach something different than what the Bible teaches, ever. The church is not called to obey at all costs because we're not called to obey false teaching. The word obey is not this blanket request an elder can spread over a bed of lies so people just go along with it. The elder cannot question someone's obedience to them, use that as an emotional tactic in order to get them to fall in line. All of that is demonic and false. Elders don't do that. And let me be very clear, the goal is to see the warning signs of an elder gone astray far before they even get an opportunity to do this with anyone. There's another part in the Bible that says if an elder is caught in sin, restore them. And if they're not going to be restored, send them on their way. To, to obey is to be persuaded. To hear the truth and then be persuaded by that truth. Who here, you know, let's say an elder approaches you and they speak truth to you. They're like, this is what the Bible says. This is my counsel to you. This is my encouragement to you. This is my teaching to you. And they show you where it's at in the Bible and they help you understand it. It's the very word of God. It's very real. It's authoritative. It's perfect. Who among us would look at that and go, well, I know that's what it says, but I'm not going to do it. I don't think anyone here actually wants to do that. I don't think any one of you would say, yeah, I'd do that. I don't think we would. Who here would say, I know the elders are leading with truth and they want to persuade me by what the gospel means and what it says, but I'm not going to do it. I think everyone here desires to be led by the truth. That's why you're here. But listen, let me warn you. We live in a day when the church will say yes and amen to everything that I have just said, but then walk away from an elder when they attempt to lead us. To turn right around because you didn't like the advice you were given. To turn around because you didn't like the correction that they just put in front of you. Even worse, we will say yes and amen to all of this 
and not even call upon an elder when we are in need of support. We make them feel like they need to figure it out. Some of you might be going, I've been struggling for a long time. No one's reached out to me. Right, because we don't know you're struggling. (laughs) We don't know. Yes, the church is great. Yes, God has given us godly leaders, but I don't really talk to them. That's, I'm just not built like that. It's not my personality. That's not a personality trait. It's called stubbornness. That's actually a sin. You can't keep using that as an excuse. The truth is that there are husbands in this church who should reach out to an elder and ask them how to love their wives like Christ loves his church. You should call us this afternoon and not waste time. There are wives who are here that should reach out to an elder and more appropriately his wife so they can better learn how to lovingly submit and support their husbands. I just said it again, submit. And now half of you already wrote me off. There are single people in this church who need the gospel-centered support of an elder as they navigate the complexities of living a single life. It's not easy. It's the hardest, one of the hardest things to do in this world. There are those who have began adult, begun, begun adulting is the term, I think. They've begun adulting, and guess what they need above all things? They need the direction and guidance of a spiritual leader as they begin to mature and grow in their adulting. That's what they need. They need to ask, what do I do between the age of 20 and 22, and then 22 and 28? What do I do when I'm 30? Where do I go in my career? What do I do about a family? You need to reach out and let us know that you're in this spot so we can support you. I challenge you, church, examine your life. Reach out to an elder, ask for their support. Because no one, I don't care how strong you are, I don't care how strong you've been, I don't care how determined you are as a person, no one can live isolated in God's community. No one can live in isolation. But instead, we're called to live in community. And that means relying on your leaders and elders for support. So lean towards trusting them with your lives. Trusting that they'll be truthful when they counsel you. Trusting that they actually do care about you. Number two, support the direction of the leaders. Support the direction of the leaders. Another responsibility of the elder is to point us in the direction we should go. Meaning we stay busy with the right things and we are protected from wasting our energy and resources with the wrong things. It's kind of the overall job of an elder. God has created us as a certain community. He has given us certain gifts. He's given us only so much money. He's given us a certain size of a building. So how can we make the biggest impact for God's kingdom based on what we've been given? That's part of the elder's job, is to just set us off in the right direction. A few weeks ago, I preached about the mission of the church. In fact, it's the mission of every church. No one gets to change it. It's found in the Bible, and Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, make disciples, make followers of me, baptize them, and then teach them to observe everything I've taught you. That's the mission of every church. In fact, no church gets to change that. If that's not at the foundation of every church, they need to rethink who they are. That's the mission. That's what they should be busy with. There is not a church on earth who has the authority to change this mission. But for our context, who we are as a people, that's nuanced based on who is a part of our church. Where do we live? How do we make disciples in our culture or in our neighborhoods? How do we teach people? How do we set that up? All of that is determined 
by the elders, the direction that we are given in partnership with you, using your gifts, helping to set you free to make an impact on the kingdom. To obey an elder is to support the gospel-centered direction they set before you. Now, talking about here, we're in our fourth year, we will be four. I usually get blamed saying we are four. We're not. We're three and a half years old. And when we first launched this church, there are plenty of people outside who want to help you um, and give you advice and tell you what to do. And I can tell you from the early years, so many people were telling us we just weren't doing enough. We just needed to do more. And we needed to get busy over there and busy over here and busy over here. And it just flooded my mind and I didn't know how to process it because I felt like, man, we're just not doing enough. We need to be doing more. But I don't necessarily agree with that. More doesn't mean better. More doesn't mean more impactful. If you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you've heard me encourage you in a few things. And I will continue, and the elders will continue to encourage you in a few things. Number one, the worship of God on Sunday mornings. What you're doing right now. Above all, we wanted to get people to have a routine in their lives where Sunday morning was an altogether different day. A different time. In fact, the whole day should be absolutely different than the rest of your week. We are the church. This is our day. It's a very important day. And when you gather to worship God, actually, we're going to learn about this in the next coming weeks. Um, next week, we're going to begin with a formal call to worship. It's a little different thing we're doing to build out what we're doing on Sunday morning so it brings God honor. It's nothing weird or creepy. Just show up on time and you'll, you know, you'll hear it. So most of you will be here at like, you know, at the end of the second song, you'll miss it. But hopefully, you'll slowly get here on time. But the worship of God on Sunday mornings, is, there is nothing more important in your week than this. The worship of God. Second, taking seriously the call to establish a gospel-centered, God-honoring home. Whether you're married or not married, kids or not kids, the gospel is at the center of all you say, think, or do, and it should infect your home and honor God in all that you say, think, or do. That's what we encourage you to do. We have a bunch of little sticky-fingered kids running around here, and so we're really busy helping parents figure out how to establish a gospel-centered home. Number three, connect with other Christians. Connect with other people from this church by signing up to serve alongside of them on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, by joining a connect group where you talk about the Bible and get encouraged with one another, attending any of the events that we've ran over the last couple of years, and most recently, by hosting a meetup. It's a new system that we've launched. We'll go over it later. To encourage, to connect with one another. These are the very simple things we've asked this church to do from day one, and I don't see us going away from it. Now, we can do other things. We can add in things. It can be nuanced. We can serve in other locations. We can take on a new responsibility. That's all great. But if we don't have these things at the core of what we do, we're in trouble. We're going to get off of mission. CityGate does not need a bunch of people to gather here under the brand of this church so then, then you could give your time and energy to this church so then you can give your money to this church so the brand of this church can expand and just get bigger in this area. It's never been the goal of this church. I do think God has given us a small building for a reason. We, already said, we said no to it twice before we even said yes. Third time was a charm. We walked through it a third time and we said yes. Seven of you can park. Congratulations if you got the spot. The rest of you have to walk. We were given an eight-person shuttle for free. That was fantastic. 
But God, I believe God has given us a small building for a reason because it aligned up with who we wanted to be as a church, which is this. We're not going to gather a bunch of people here so that we can make this place bigger, but we are going to gather a bunch of people here so that you can figure out what God needs to do through you so that we can then turn you around, send you out, and support you in any way that we can. What are your gifts? Go and be about them. What has God called you to be? How can we support you? God is going to advance his kingdom through your home. What does that look like? Let us help you. Let us help you develop that, mature in that. Every Christian is on mission, not just every church. We're not building an empire right here. We're advancing God's kingdom out there. That's the whole philosophy that we've planted with. So again, will you obey the direction that the elders have placed before you? Will you be about those things? Will you maybe realize for the first time this morning that Sunday mornings are important and I kind of just, I mean, if I get up and feel like it, I go. If I don't, I kind of miss it. But it should be the most important thing in your life. Maybe you realize you need to get more connected with the church community by serving or connecting or attending something or hosting something. And maybe you need to take seriously shepherding and taking care of the family that God has given you and give your all to that in this next year. Support the direction of the others. That's how we obey and submit. So lean towards trusting. Support the direction. Number three, imitate the faith of a leader. It's the third thing that our church can do practically to obey and submit to the leaders. Imitate the faith of a leader. Ten verses previous to this, Hebrews 13, verse 7. The author said this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. I don't have any problem with telling anyone in this church that they can look to an elder or his wife or his family and follow at least one thing they do and telling you to actually follow them. We all need something we're working on, right? We all have some sort of rough edge we're trying to smooth out. We all need something that we can mature in. The Bible calls us to imitate the faith, the walk of faith, imitate the belief, imitate the trust, imitate their dependence upon the gospel for all things in the life of an elder. Paul, he's an author of the New Testament. He wrote this to a church in Corinth. In an ancient city, ancient city, chapters 4 and chapters 11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's pretty bold to tell an entire church community, do what I do because I'm doing what Jesus does. And then later he says, I urge you, be imitators of me. The church needs elders who are not afraid to tell those whom they lead, imitate how I do this. On Tuesday after dinner, you need to start doing this. Don't let your kids get up. Open the Bible. Your morning routine needs to change because you're starting out in chaos and you're ending in chaos. Or here's what I have found to work with my life and my job. I used to be so frustrated. And then I took this different approach with my coworkers. And I, I think it's really helped me honor them and honor my employer and become a more faithful believer in Christ. I, I don't, I'm not worried at all. If any one of you went to the elders and said, could you help me be about this? They would be able to help you be about it. They may not be perfect at it, but they may have a handle on it. Again, I can go through husbands, wives, those who are adulting, those who are single, whatever area of your life, and I can tell you there are elders in this church who you need to follow because they'll say, yeah, I realize you're in the same spot you were a month ago, but that's because you keep doing the same thing. You have to try this. You have to approach it this way. 
You have to talk to your wife in this way. You can't talk to her like that. You have to treat your children this way. You can't treat them like that. And here's the outcome that's going to produce. The elders of Citygate should at any time have at least one area in their life in which they can say, imitate my faith in this. Imitate my obedience in this. Now, this may seem prideful to us, and I think it does, right? We think, well, Jesus, that's pretty prideful. Wasn't Jesus humble? Yes, just give me a second. It may seem prideful to living this way, but this is actually what Jesus has modeled before us. This is the path he pointed us on. He called people and said, follow me. And that meant do what I do. Learn from me. Mature in this. Let me help you figure this out. Jesus called people to follow him and his teaching. And then he modeled it and demonstrated it and called people to do the same. So, Obey and submit. Imitate the faith of an elder. Let me also tell you, within themselves, elders have no authority over you. None. I, as an elder, but one who labors in preaching and teaching, your pastor, does not have any authority over you. I can't make you do anything. And I would never show up on your, be- on your, uh, your living room couch and say, well, I'm here because I have an authority over you and you need to do this. If I have to tell you I have an authority over you, guess what? I don't have authority over you. When a leader says you have to do this because I'm a leader, most likely they're not a leader. I don't have any authority over you. The elders don't have any authority over you. But when an elder puts the word of God before you and explains it and calls you to obey it and asks the Holy Spirit to make it alive in your life, that's where all the authority is given. If he leads with the word of God, that is our authority, church. This is, this book is our authority. This is what we submit to. And God gives certain gifts to the church, one of them being elders, preachers, and teachers, to help us understand it so we can better submit to it. They don't have any authority in and of themselves, but when they put the word of God before you, just know that they're putting before you the one who has all authority, Jesus Christ. He has said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the one who conquered sin. He's the one who defeated death. He's the one that was risen from the grave. So when we put him before you, guess what? He is your authority. Don't do it because we tell you to do it. Do it because our job is to show you who, would like, who we'd like you to follow. Jesus. I'll begin to end with a little bit of another warning about our spirit right now in this moment and then an encouragement. Right now, some of us are still struggling with obedience and submission. Some of us are struggling towards trusting an elder just because they have that appointed term now with their name. I mean, Mike, Adam, and John, and John, oh, there's two of us. John, John, Mike, and Adam were fine last week, but now that they're elders, I don't know about those guys. That's, that actually has happened this week to some of you, and you probably didn't even know it. That's okay. But you should recognize it. You should think about that. You should pray about that and allow God to do a work on your heart. Again, we're so thankful for what the gospel produces in our lives, what the good news of Jesus Christ produces. We're thankful for what it's, it, it, it sets straight. We're thankful for what it makes clear. We're thankful for the hope and the joy that we've been given but we don't bring this part of our life into it because I am not going to obey or to submit to anybody. What we're doing is we're walking as if we're still dead. Ephesians, it's a letter in your New Testament. Here's what it says. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead 
Before you became a Christian, you were spiritually dead. You hated God, you hated his word, you were dead to anything that had to do with him. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. And how did you walk? Following the course of this world. How do you follow the course of this world? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience. We once were so anti-God. We were once so anti-Jesus' authority that we were dead. See, some of us won't submit. It's like we're still walking under that spirit, the same spirit that's in the work of the sons of disobedience. This is not an area where we have been obedient to Christ. And I want to challenge you with that this morning. Because the truth is that the Spirit of God has released you from this. He has saved you from this. He has set you free from the bondage of sin and pride and animosity and feeling like you don't need anybody to do anything. All the while, your entire life is crumbling around you. But as long as you show up and smile, nobody knows the wiser. Last week, I set three gifted, humble, qualified men and their wives before you to lead you. Will any of you call them and say, I need help? The good news of Jesus Christ is that he has saved you from following this sinful pattern, this sinful passion, living out this sinful desire to be the king of your own castle or the queen of your own castle, whatever it may be. He has provided you with God's Holy Spirit, empowering you new life. He has provided you with his word, which is a lamp unto our feet, John said in our prayer time. It's a light unto our path. The word of God is what sets us in the right direction. And all the while, men are there ready to open it up before us and pray with us and grieve with us and encourage us and be patient with us And we don't want it. Church, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. I don't think this is necessarily highlighting people who make us frustrated because you're mean. I mean, mean people are everywhere. I'm mean on Tuesday. Right? We all fall into that. I'm not immune. If I don't have chips and a nap, I'm mean. I don't think that's what this is highlighting. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Don't make an elder work and groan to get you to call them or to pick up the phone or to say, I want to approach you, but when I approach you, you don't want to hear it. What should we be instead? We should let them do this with joy. Why? because then it's an advantage to you. Who benefits from an elder who is above reproach and all the rest of the qualities of 1 Timothy 3? The church. Who benefits from, from an elder who leads with the gospel and lays before people the word of God? Not the elder, you. Over and over again, what you'll see in the New Testament as leaders held to a very high standard and then told to be humble and the receiving end is always somebody else. The benefit is always going to somebody else. What does an elder get to do because of this work? He gets to stand before God and give an account. (laughs) That's what he gets to do. Why are elders put in churches? To be an advantage for you, for your benefit. 
I don't want to become a church who has appointed elders and they're essentially, you know, what they call them, paper tigers, right? Their names we put on a piece of paper so we can be legal with the state or because we have to have a board of overseers or because on paper they look good like we have leaders of the church but who really have no impact besides that document. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that because they were given for your benefit. Let's read it one more time and I'll close in prayer. We'll observe communion. Church, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. Let's pray.